Hi, this is Carrie Ann Reed Brown, and this is Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I'm excited because I have a returning guest, my good, good friend Kwame. The last time Kwame was here, we talked about negotiation, and no, we're going to have a different conversation. But before we get into the topic, Kwame, welcome to the show. Hey, Carrie Ann, thanks for having me. All right. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are, just in case they didn't listen to that episode. Tell them a little bit who you are, Caribbean country you represent, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So let's start off with the Caribbean countries. My dad's from Dominica, mom's from Guyana. And so they met at Howard University and then they made me. (laughs) (laughs) We've been here ever since. It was one of those situations where they said, uh, you know, we're going to come and get our education. Then we're going to go back home. Both of them had that plan. And then, you know, it never works out. Never worked out. So in terms of what you do, tell the audience a little bit about, you know, the work that you do. Yeah, so I'm a business lawyer. I work with businesses and and things like that. But my real passion is teaching people how to negotiate and manage conflict. So I don't practice very much anymore. I started to transition into mediation, doing mediation as a mediator. And then I uh, created the American Negotiation Institute. And that's what we do. We do negotiation and conflict resolution trainings. Very recently, since uh, the death of George Floyd, a lot of people have been reaching out for trainings on how to have difficult conversations about race. And the thing is, for us as a company, our our motto is this, the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And so wherever the difficult conversations happen to be, we'll be there. So it's been an interesting turn in the last month or so doing a lot of diversity and inclusion work, but it's it's really satisfying to, to be able to help people when uh, when they need help with these difficult conversations, wherever it happens to be. I love that statement. The best things in life is on the other side of difficult conversation. Well, it's getting on that bridge to the difficult conversation. <laughs> wow. All right. It's very interesting that you're having more conversations around race. So I want to talk to you about one thing that I've heard my friends talk about. They, they, they say it's that one thing. Since COVID and people are working remotely, they've had a difficult time with being micromanaged. People have to do video calls every 10 minutes. Or I have a friend, when she does a work call, she has to be on camera. And if she's not on camera, that boss is like, what are you doing? You know, I can't relate to it, but I understand why the manager is trying to do that. But what advice can you give to empower my friends to kind of speak up for themselves? Because no one wants to speak up because on the other side of that, everyone else is being laid off. So you're thinking, I'm fortunate to still have a job. Why would I want to speak up and tell this boss, like, listen, you know, or do do you even want to even do that? So would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So let's start off with this. My framework for having any kind of difficult conversation is called the compassionate curiosity framework. So it's a three-part framework. And the first step is acknowledging and validating emotions. Second step is getting curious with compassion. And then the third step is joint problem solving. So whether I'm talking to attorneys or contract negotiators and negotiating million dollar deals, or I'm at home talking to my wife or parenting my four-year-old, <laughs> this is the framework I use. And so we can use this exact same framework as it relates to these difficult conversations when it comes to micromanaging. So let's think about what the goal is here. Our goal is number one, 
to not be micromanaged <laughs> because it's annoying and a little bit condescending. And two, to be an effective employee, whatever that means for you in your situation. Now, here's the thing that we often miss. We don't take the time to learn what the needs of our audience are. And so what is it that the, the manager is doing? Because I'm assuming the manager doesn't really like <laughs> micromanaging either. Like, I don't think it's something that they enjoy. And they say to their family, man, you know, I wish I could spend more time micromanaging on the weekends. That sounds fun. I don't think that's the way they're looking at it. So there's something that's causing them to engage in this problematic behavior. And really, I think it comes down to fear in a lot of situations. They're afraid of performance issues. They're afraid of meeting their metrics because just like we might be afraid of getting laid off, they might have that exact same fear. <laughs> they have specific goals that they need to meet. And so they might also be a little bit insecure as, as it relates to their ability to manage remotely. A lot of people were thrown into this and they were ill-prepared. And so a lot of this bad behavior is a manifestation of fear. And so what we do when we're having the conversation is we acknowledge that emotion. So let's say, Carrie Ann, you're my boss. I, I say, hey, um, I wanted to have a conversation with you about our, our working relationship and, and how we're going to manage this remote type of interaction. Do you have time to chat? And then actually, if you want, we could do a, we could role play this if you're if you're down. All right. All right. I'm ready. Let me put the glasses on. <laughs> all right. I'm ready. Let's I'm ready. It. I'm ready. Hey, Carrie Ann, I wanted to see if you had time to chat about our working relationship and the way that we're going to manage this new remote world we're living in. Sure, Kwame. You want to do it now or do you want us to put something on the calendar? Well, actually, if you have, I think it'll only take about five, 10 minutes. If you have the time now, we could do it now. But if you, if you have some other things on your mind, it might be better to reschedule. You let me know what works best for you. Yeah, I have a few five minutes right now. We could talk about it. Well, great. Yeah. And so let me say this. I've, I've really appreciated working here. I enjoy working here. And what my goal is in this conversation is to try to figure out a way that we can work best together. That's my goal. And so pause for a second. What we're going to do is we're going to highlight the problem, but we're going to do it without any commentary, what I call naked facts. <laughs> so we just say, all right, this is what is happening. And this is the impact. Fact, impact. So Carrie Ann, I've recognized that we've been having a lot of meetings every day, kind of just checking in every day. And beforehand, we didn't have as many meetings when we were actually working face to face. And the, the reason I'm bringing this up is that I'm recognizing that it's having a negative impact on me as it relates to my productivity, because it's breaking up my day in a way that's, that's hard for me. And I know for you as a manager, it's really tough because now you're in this situation where you don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you can't just stop in and see what I'm doing. And so there might be a little bit of a concern of whether or not I'm working effectively. Is, is that a fair synopsis of what you might be experiencing? Yeah, Kwame, I mean, this is unusual times. You know, everyone is trying to figure out what's going on. And so, you know, we need to have meetings to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that we're doing what we're supposed to do. I'm, I'm not understanding where this is going. Yeah. Okay. No, this makes sense. And it sounds like for you, the goal of these meetings is to make sure that we're on the same page, right? Yes. And that you're executing on the deliverables that we have for this quarter. Perfect. So making sure we're on the same page and we're producing, executing on those deliverables. Okay. So what other things do you, do you think we could do to make sure that we're on the same page other than meeting all the time? 
this is unusual. We're in a pandemic. I don't know what's happening from the corporate level. We are just trying to figure out how we're going to satisfy our clients or customers. And so we are just figuring out as we go along what we need to do. The priorities are changing every day, but you know, using as a guide, the deliverables for the quarter is what I'm focusing on for the company. Unless I get other directives, it's just a moving piece. It's it's changing and I don't have control over that. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like, again, the deliverables are the ultimate goal. Then we just need to keep in touch to make sure that as things are changing, everybody's on the same page. And as long as we could do that, then everything would be okay. Yeah, I would say that's a fair assessment. Okay. Well, how about we do this? Because like I said, I want to make sure that we are hitting those deliverables just like you. And I know that the way that I've been working uh, it's been tough for me to to get those deliverables accomplished, to accomplish what we want to do together because of all of these meetings. So what? how about this? What do you think about maybe holding back, pulling back on some of these meetings? If you still want to have the meetings with the other people on the team, I, I'm not going to step on your toes and get in the way of that. But as for me, if I can still stay informed and stay on the same page and hit these numbers would it be okay if I stepped out of these meetings for the next few weeks to make sure that I can hit these numbers? Well, I mean, Kwame, if I do that for you, I'm going to have to do that for everyone else. How do I manage and give you special treatment? And then I have a team of 20 other people that I have to work with. How does that work? I think that's a great question. And I think one of the questions we have to ask is how do people work best? Because like you said, these are crazy times. <laughs> We're in a pandemic. I didn't know how I would work remotely. So I'm learning that too. And so there might be some people on the team who feel like me, who would say, oh yeah, if I could just check in and keep on hitting my numbers, as long as I'm producing then, and we're all on the same page, then everybody uh, everybody wins. But then they're probably going to be a subset of people who actually want to keep having those meetings. And then maybe for them, they keep having the meetings. And I think maybe if we do that approach, and we could do it for uh, maybe a month, do a little experiment and see whether or not we're hitting those numbers. But I think, again, like you said, everything's changing and maybe we change our approach a little bit. I don't know, Kwame. I can't make a decision right now. I think I have to think about it some more, what to do, because I, I'm, I'm just not sure how my bosses would think about this. I'm, I'm just not sure. I can't give you an answer right now. Yeah, that's fair. And I wouldn't expect you to give me an answer <laughs> in this short period of time, but I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Um, and maybe in our next meeting, we can pick it up. All right. I will do. Thanks. Cool. So quick breakdown. First of all, what do you think? I think that was good. I was trying to be, I was like, here, wait, wait, wait. I'm not host. I can't not. I'm manager. So <laughs> as the manager, I understood that the, they too are going through very unusual, unprecedented situations. They are also an employee. And so what I recognized was my own issues and employees are what I'm operating on versus the issues of the employees that I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. That's what I noticed. Yeah, yeah. And, and, here and but for you, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear your breakdown. <laughs> so even though in my head, I know like this is just not how my job operates, but I saw as you were presenting things, I was operating from the place where I was as an employee and not necessarily as a manager. So that's one. Two, you kind of highlighted how people work differently. And even though I know that to be true, that never in this conversation, that never crosses the mind because 
it's unintentional, but people are only thinking how this impacts themselves and very few people are able to step outside themselves and see a larger picture. And I think because of where I was reacting, it was hard to see or empathize with the people I was managing because I was thinking about how this is going to impact me, my responsibilities to the company and me reporting to my own boss. And so I was driving or making decisions from that space and not from the well-being of the employee. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and here's the thing, too. Remember, we have to be patient in these conversations because we have to think about the distance we have to travel from where the person currently is and where we want them to be. And so in a little right. five-minute conversation, it would be highly unlikely for them to then say, you know what, Kwame, brilliant point. I'm changing my whole philosophy. Right. That would that would be insane. Right. Which is why I was like, uh, uh, how 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 will you get away with this? I have to deal with twenty other people. But thinking of everybody's, like you said, you know, just different backgrounds and experiences, kind of no one's thinking about that. And I think that's the one thing that I took away from this. It's like it's not for some people. Maybe it's intentional. But in that moment, I realized, oh my gosh, they're human too, and they're going through their own process of dealing with this pandemic, it just looks very differently from me. And I'm judging them based on how I would handle it. Exactly. And the cool thing about the compassionate curiosity framework is that it kind of creates a little bit of forced empathy too. Because yes, when I was laying the foundation, then I had to go on a little bit of a monologue for 30 to 40 seconds explaining why we're having the conversation. But then I opened it with a question. I got your response. And then I used, I acknowledged your emotion. I said, it sounds like this is your concern. Is that fair? And I kept on doing that until I felt we could move to something more substantive. And so then I offered a solution. So what do you think about this? What do you think about that? How would this affect it? And so that's the getting curious with compassion and then transitioning to joint problem solving. Do you think this could work? Or maybe we could approach it this way. And so for me, the win in this conversation is just getting you from the point of saying, absolutely not to the point of saying, you know what, let me think about it. That's great. And then we can build on that for the next conversation. And so in, in my book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, that's really what we did. We just outlined the compassionate curiosity framework, how you can use it effectively in, in all of these difficult conversations that we're going to have. Wow. I like that. We'll see that. You know, um, I'll see if I'll try that at home too. I don't think it's going to work. The Caribbean mom in me is going to be like, compassion. Compassion. So you see, for my for my mom, it was like, oh, okay, you want to negotiate? And then I hear her go to the kitchen and open the drawer. I'm like, never mind, I concede. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I really like the way we started that because, again, that's, I think, the biggest complaint that I've heard people talk about. But let's talk about something more part of the everyday. Couples working and living and schooling in the same space, regardless how big that is. It's like negotiating that. Like, I, I could tell you, my husband and I, we're just like, all right, now the schedules get crazy. Like, babe, what you have call what time? What time? Okay, all right. You got to keep the kids at this time. And it's it's just a lot. And the, the stress is that we never feel like we've completely done what we're supposed to do because we're taking turns doing all of these things. And in that sense, there can be a lot of conflict because we feel like we're not getting enough done. One might feel that he's spending, I'm talking to my husband, he might feel like he's spending more time with the kids than I do, or I'm not holding them 
went quiet when he needs to be on a call. Just like now you heard Harrison popped up. Mom, yay. <laughs> you know, like, so let's talk about some of those scenarios where now we're, we're living, working, schooling in the same confined space, particularly for me in New York, as we did for a couple of months. So some of the challenges around that, how do we begin to address conflicts? Because it could be anything. It could be like, I'm just tired of holding these kids, you know? So tell me a little bit about some tips you have around that. Yeah. And, and first of all, this is tough for everybody. There, there are no magic tricks that I have that make it so much easier for me. But I, I can give some practical <laughs> advice that makes it just a little bit easier. That's what we always say. Our goal is to make the difficult conversations we have easier. We had a uh, an episode on this too because a lot of people were asking about it for uh, so on my podcast negotiate anything. We had a full episode with a relationship therapist where she talked about some of the things that we could do uh, to make sure we don't lose our minds. And one of the first things is we have to give ourselves some space somehow get a little bit of space because it's like a pressure cooker. And the cool thing is pressure cookers are great. Have one at home. It, it cooks really well. The other thing that pressure cookers could be used for, you can make bombs out of pressure cookers, you know? And, <laughs> and so we're living in this situation where people are at such a heightened emotional state where if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, people can snap. And so even if you're in a small apartment, let's say a studio apartment, you, kids, husband, wife, whatever, find some refuge. It might be the bathroom. Whatever it is, you need to find some space. First, I want to say it is the bathroom. Yeah, seriously. Sometimes. <laughs> I, I would just go and sit in my car. That was what I would do. I just go and sit in my car and just be away from people because you're not going to be effective in these conversations if you're emotionally unstable. So go get your mind right and then have the conversation. And then also make sure that the other person is in a decent place where they can be stable too. Is it a time where you can actually have the conversation without a, a, a kid jumping on your head or anything like that? You want to make sure you give yourself emotional space first and then actual space for the conversation so you can have it effectively. So I think just setting the stage, just doing that is going to play a big role before you even start talking. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that. And as we started this interview, you said something that really wasn't on my radar to discuss. And I kind of want to touch on it because I feel like this topic in the next, the last few minutes we have here, I think this is a topic that really, I'm trying to find the best way to have like proper dialogue on this. So you said that you've been finding yourself having more difficult conversations around race, right? So Carrie Ann is going to be maybe one of the first ones to ask you how we, as some of my audience members, as Caribbean Americans, have difficult conversations with their Black Americans counterpart around the perception that they feel like Amer Caribbean people always feel like they're better than Black Americans. I've seen it. It is the most heartbreaking conversations I've seen on the internet. I've not personally experienced it, but I have people who do. And it's like, I don't know if people know how to start the conversation, but it always starts in a defensive way. And one group feels like Caribbeans and sometimes, well, most of the time Africans are included, but since we're not from an African country, how do we even start to have a conversation to understand why each group feels this way, especially in the time where Black lives? Because walking down the street, no one's going to say, hey, that's Kwame. His parents are Domin Dominica and Guyana. We won't bother him. 
you just black. You just look black, black, black. No one's going to say, oh, that's Carrie Ann. She's Jamaican. We're not bothering him. So walking on the street, we are black. But there's these elements of our culture, of who we are, and there are conversations that, you know, some people are very passionate about how they feel one group treats them and how the other group is. So I know I just laid a lot on you right there, but it's like, I'm just seeing these conversations. And I'll be honest, I don't want to have it on the show because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm the one to have it, but I keep getting asked the same questions about this very topic. And it's that one thing where everyone's like, Carrie Ann, who's going to talk about it? So we're not going to exhausted here, but like, even as a starting point, like how do we come to the table and have that discussion and say, Hey, I don't necessarily think I'm better than you. And I don't think you're less than let's figure out what's happening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let me, let me give you an example that will sound completely irrelevant for a moment, but then it'll, it'll make sense Mm -hmm. in a second. So you're, we're both parents here. So imagine you come home and the place is a complete mess. It looks like a hurricane went through it. You don't, but everybody's gone. They left. They, they can't be reached over the phone. And it's just you at home with this complete mess. And what do you feel? You feel anxiety. You feel anxiety because you say, there is a mess here. Where do I even start? Where do I even start? And so you say, <laughs> you're just like paralyzed. You're just overwhelmed with inaction because you just don't know where to start. And so bringing it back to these conversations, right. it's the same thing because there's so many different layers So where do I start? Do I start with the fact that, okay, you have a different lived experience? Because for me, my parents came over as immigrants. We came to a good community. I went to college. So I dodged a lot of these these issues that African-Americans typically deal with. For example, I had to learn to be afraid of the police. I went to college and I was like, oh, all my friends are afraid of the police. What? They're, They're bad people? All my white friends from uh, Tiffin, Ohio, they 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 didn't have any problems with the police. I was like, oh, okay, completely different experience. That's really interesting, you know. So where do we start? Um, and so I think what we have to recognize is we have to start with our goal. What is our goal in this conversation? So think about the uh, the kind of role playing we had earlier. So my goal wasn't to get you as the manager to change your entire perspective on work from home strategies. My goal was for you to think a little bit differently and be willing to entertain a subsequent conversation with a new mindset. And so we have to think about it the same way, with the same level of strategy in our conversations that we're having every day. So what is it? What is our goal? And here's the thing. This is why it's so often that we mess up in these conversations, because sometimes the goal is simply emotional expression. I'm feeling pain Mm. and I'm letting that go. And the thing is, a lot of times people will say things out of pure emotion that sound logical and you try to wrestle with that and solve the problem or something like that, but it's not a tangible thing they're looking for. They're just looking for empathy. And so again, if you go back to the compassionate curiosity framework, acknowledge and validate emotions, get curious with compassion, joint problem solving. In a lot of these conversations, there's no joint problem solving. All they want you to do is acknowledge their emotions, let them know it's legitimate, and then ask some questions so you can empathize and learn. And that's really it. And so one of the things that we have to understand going into this is that when you're utilizing that compassionate curiosity, one of the questions we need to ask is, what do you hope to accomplish out of this conversation? What's your goal? How can I be a good friend to you right now? And that gets you a better perspective on what their goal is. And then you can find a way to meet their needs through the conversation. And then you also have to analyze for yourself, what's my goal? Do I want them to think differently? Do I want them to change their behavior? 
Do I want them to engage with a certain person or a certain conversation differently, maybe online or in person? I don't know. We have to get very clear. And once we get that clarity, then we can reverse engineer strategies and tactics that make sense for the conversation. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. It's such a huge topic. I'm just like, oh my God. It's like you were telling the story where your wife asked you a question and that's when you realize you yourself were like, oh, I'm not dealing with this thing. It's the same thing. I know it. I see it. I'm not the person to have this conversation, but at the same time, I don't think no one else is having this from an unbiased standpoint, right? Like... I'm not saying, well, I'm Caribbean and we're the best. I'm not saying that. It's just like, I really, truly want to understand. And I just feel like no one's really trying to be delicate in how they handle this because it's just a delicate, multi-layered conversation, like you said. So I'm just, I'm kind of glad you gave me that little glimpse. And I hope anyone listening, if they have this interaction in their personal lives, you know, listen to understand. Or like you said, question, what do you hope to accomplish? I thank you so much for that. That was very helpful. No problem. And and one last thing, I realized I forgot to say this. The simple formula for acknowledging emotions is just saying it sounds like or it seems like. So it sounds like that really had an impact on you. It seems like this is really important to you. It sounds like you feel as though people aren't listening to you. Just keep on hitting them with that because people want to be seen People want to be heard. And that's one of the fundamental principles of respect. Do you see me? Think about it. You know, sometimes you, you mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're talking to somebody, you're like, oh, I see you. Right. That's respect. I see you. <laughs> I, that's really yeah. all we're saying. And that's what we're doing when we're acknowledging. Yeah, I, that, that makes sense. I see you. Yeah, I like that. So as we wrap up this wonderful, wonderful session, we went through a little skit about how to navigate that conversation with your manager around micromanaging. And I love that you said the first conversation isn't necessarily to get to the resolution, is to get them open to thinking differently. And you said something before, I didn't, my notes didn't get that fast. You said it's just facts. It's not any anecdotal information, just, just facts, not facts. Now I feel like it's just facts. Exactly. Right. Because once we get to I feel like it's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> um, and then in terms of how we are dealing with the challenges of working, living, schooling together, even for kids, we didn't touch that, you know, but even for kids is just give space, you know, give each other space so they could just blow off steam, just be by themselves, wherever that space is. And then when it comes to diaspora, African diaspora relations, whether you're from a Black person from America or a Black person from the Caribbean or a Black person from Africa, we need to understand what we hope to accomplish in our conversations with each other. And again, just understanding. I like that. So any last words, Kwame? No, I appreciate what you do. And um, thank you for having me on. And yeah, if if anybody wants to check out the podcast, it's Negotiate Anything. It's top ranked negotiation podcast in the world. Um, Also the book, if you want to learn more about how to have these difficult conversations, check out Finding Confidence in Conflict. And um, of course, if you work for a company and you need a workshop, I know a guy. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Kwame. And until next time, walk good. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience. We post new episodes every two weeks. And if you want to learn more, 
buy merchandise or sign up for our newsletter, check out our website, carryonfriends.com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.